the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Difference Makers. I'm Mike Lee, Director of Local Ministries for True Talk 800, the 93.9 KPDQ FM Network, AM 860 The Answer, KPAM, AM 1640 The Patriot, 93.1 L-Ray, and 104.1 The Fish. And I'd love to talk with you about how to get your church on our church service live stream page. Just email me at mikelee at kpdq.com. That's M-I-K-E-L-E-E at kpdq.com. And you can also chat about becoming an authority and expanding the reach of your ministry or business, both on the air and through our state-of-the-art digital and online resources through our Salem Surround Marketing Branch. How to host one of our station's events when the world reopens, and it will, and bring people to your church or business at no risk to you, and maybe just maybe qualifying for hosting your very own radio program. My email address one more time is mikelee at kpdq.com, which is spelled M-I-K-E-L-E-E at kpdq.com. And one of my favorite aspects about my job is being able to talk with friends over the air about how they're contributing to our community. None more so than Dr. Terry Johnson. Terry served as presidential honor guard for three U.S. presidents despite being diagnosed with an extreme case of dyslexia as a young man. His full story can be found in his books, For His Honor and Aim High. Terry went on to earn a master's with emphasis in family ministry and doctoral degree at the prestigious Wesley Theological Seminary of Washington, D.C., Dr. Terry's traveled the world sharing his story, speaking in more than 67 countries. After years of ministering to young adults, Dr. Terry served as senior chaplain and operations manager of WGTS-FM, a legendary Christian station in the Washington, D.C. area, before returning to Portland, where he served at Adventist Health, and he is currently the division vice president for mission integration for Adventist Health North Division Hospitals which would include San Francisco west to Hawaii, Portland, Tillamook, Washington, NorCal, and Hawaii. Welcome, Dr. Terry. How are you today? Oh, it is just an honor to be here and just be able to hear your voice and to speak to you. It's bringing a little bit of normalcy back to things. Always good to have you aboard, and I'd like to congratulate your wonderful wife, Dr. Kara Johnson, for getting her doctorate. Actually, at George Fox. George Fox there in Newburgh. Oh, congratulations. I will just definitely share uh, that with her. She will be listening. (laughs) So how are the two of you holding up between your various duties with Adventist Health and with your church, Sunnyside Church over on Market Street? Yeah, it's been just a very unique experience. I went through something very similar to this, but not to this extreme. I was um, actually living in Washington, D.C. during 9-11 you know, right within the city limits. And our city, a lot of people don't know, but um, we went to martial law, including tanks on the streets, uh, 
can't go out of your house, curfew, not allowed to the grocery store. It was you know, pretty bad because we didn't know what or who was going to do anything next. And so uh, this just reminds me uh, so much of that feeling of hopelessness. Like you're fighting the enemy, but you don't know who the enemy is kind of feeling. And luckily, me going through that, I've been able to um, share a lot of that with the people that I'm in touch with and Cara and different ones. We will get through this. And that's the thing we will know for sure is that we will get through this and this too shall pass one day. It certainly will, Terry. And what strikes me about your 9-11 parallel is at the time, it really seemed like the months after 9-11 saw people treating each other better overall. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, I believe that currently that's kind of shifted back to a normalcy of I'm getting mine and I don't care how that affects you. Whereas right after the pandemic closures started, people seemed to treat each other a little better, in my opinion. So tell me what you're seeing in your various circles at Adventist Medical Center and throughout Portland and at Sunnyside Church. Yes, let me start with at home. Uh, Carr and I, uh, we live uh, in downtown Portland, and we live in a, a, a condo, um, a three, four, uh, four floors condo. And I say that for a reason. And there's this five, um, five um, uh, units per floor. And um, what is unique is that uh, there are a lot of elderly people. Carr and I are probably the youngest, and that that's scary if we're the youngest here, but there are quite a bit of elderly people here. And um, <laughs> what Carr and I decided to do the very, the very next day after everything was closed down, uh, we were able to get some flowers uh, from Trader Joe's, and we went and simply set a flower in front of all the doors with a little note attached saying, if you need anything, um, please let us know. And the most amazing thing out of that, Mike, is that um, they were so moved. People started sending us pictures of what they put the flower at, uh, just different things. And it's it just, just crazy. The very next week, um, I went out and I got some um, simple stuff, uh, rolls of toilet paper, individual rolls. I don't know how I came across that many of them, uh, but I did. And um, uh, and then I went to the dollar store and um, spent around $20 in total, got little bags, uh, got some uh, hand spray stuff, and put that in front of every door. And once again... Um, People are dropping stuff off. Even now, this morning, someone had dropped fresh mushrooms um, off in front of our door. It's created this whole thing of everyone kind of taking care of everyone, at least in our building. And so I just want to stress to people uh, that we can do little simple things. I mean, it cost me $20 at the dollar store. And we've probably received uh, maybe $300 back of stuff that people have uh, put out in front of our doors. And so that's been unique, been able to do that here. Uh, Carr has organized a um, Zoom. So there's a representative in every floor now, and their job is kind of to check in on their floor to make sure uh, that if there's anyone that's in need of anything. And so uh, that's been just amazing that Carr has been able to to do that. And then uh, let me talk to you a little bit on the um, church side. Uh, Car cannot, um, as you know, no, there's no church services. Uh, so she was one of the ones who's been able to help her church 
to get Zoom lines, uh, get Zoom set up for different meetings. And Mike, one of the most amazing thing of all is Carr's oldest class, her little like Sunday school class, the oldest one, uh, uh, the average age in there is like 60, 63, and then it goes all the way up to 90. And there's 27 of them. And Carr conducts a Wednesday study with the group. And she spent time teaching them how to either use their phone, uh, their computer, if they have a computer, iPad, to connect to this study group on Wednesdays. And do you know, out of that 27, she has 25 of them participating every single week. And I said, Carr, that is just amazing. I know how it is trying to get my mom to even use an iPhone or FaceTime. But for her to do that with a whole group of elderly ladies, it was absolutely beautiful. Well, you know the expression, necessity is the mother of invention. I was chatting with our friend Jonathan Russell today. And Jonathan, you may remember, was the young lead pastor of Sunnyside Church. Yes. God led them through all these crazy adventures to take the lead pastor position at this church, which at the time was predominantly filled with older church members. And they loved him to the point where when he made his announcement that he was moving to the Oregon Seventh-day Adventist main headquarters to work in media, there was quite an uproar from the congregation because they just loved Jonathan. Yes, they still talk about that. (laughs) I love it. But I love the fact that all of a sudden, as Jonathan was telling me, all of these pastors that were reluctant to get into the digital age have been forced to. If you're not live streaming, you're not heard. You're not listened. <laughs> there is no option because Governor Brown has effectively shut down the church services in the state for the time being. And maybe you could give us an insight as an insider of where you think that's going to turn next. But in the case of my church, Morningstar Down in Salem, we always kind of had video on the back burner, something we wanted to get into, but we hadn't really gotten around to it yet. Around to it. But now we've just had to jump into the deep end (laughs) without any hesitation. And there have been growing pains, but the congregation has been forgiving and gracious, and a lot more people are watching the live streams than we would have thought. So I love the fact when my sister in California is watching our services, or friends and relatives who do not yet know the Lord are tuning in because I've got a daughter on worship team or a son behind the scenes. So good is coming out of this pandemic season. And if your church is running a live stream of its services, you need to get on our webpage, friends. Just email me at mikely at kpdq.com. I'll call you. I'll walk you through it. We'll get it done. But a lot of churches are getting exposure that never would have been looked at before these pandemic closures. And I love that. Mike, I so believe. And when we face difficult times like this, it's just so amazing how the church rolls on. I mean, and, and, and I'll never forget uh, when I was working at the White House, um, Gorbachev was making his first visit to America. And um, you can just imagine what the security was like, um, because if something would have happened to him over here, you know, it would have been World War III. Everything was you no know, prepared for that. And that's really no joke. Because he was warned by his parliament, you know, do not go there. Because if you do get hurt, it will be World War III. 
But uh, him and Reagan decided, regardless, they were going to come over and uh, meet face to face because Reagan had visited him eight months before. And so we ended up having to prepare where the world didn't know Gorbachev was coming. But uh, since I was there to honor guard and we would be doing the ceremonies and stuff, we knew we were no sworn to secrecy. And so uh, the Russian equivalent to the honor guards came over uh, probably around two months before Gorbachev. They had one to start planning out ceremonial stuff. And I became good friends with a gentleman by the name of Yuri, Yuri Kulikov. And over that period of time, Mike, we just really got close. We could talk and ask different questions. And he was an atheist. And no. And then he said something to me. He says, Terry, I just don't understand. Why do you believe in this God you can't see? Now, just what makes you have faith? And Mike, I don't know where it came from. And this is the words that I said to him. I trust and believe in this God I can't see because in my own personal life, he has a way of making good out of bad. And as I know, and that's just been the honest truth with me that I've faced some of the most challenging times, but I look back at it. God was still in control. He had my back from the beginning to the end. And I believe that um, that's what he's doing now is that as bad as this might seem to some people, but he's touching it, Mike, as you've already said, churches are being heard. People are watching people. I just know my my family members. It's just been absolutely unbelievable of this sin, how God is making good out of this bad situation. God will indeed make beauty out of ashes. And not to sound like an old man yelling at kids to get off my lawn, It's easy for us to look at stereotypes and say, look at this generation of slackers. They've got everything and they're doing nothing. Obviously, that's an over-exaggeration. But I think the flip side with which to look at life for our younger generation is look at the potential you have to change this world for good. So when we return with Dr. Terry Johnson, we're going to talk about some tough subjects, not only about dealing with the coronavirus, but how we living as Christians in this world can stand up for righteousness and perhaps even more importantly, stand against unrighteousness. So if you're bothered about the way situations are treating you today, keep in mind that you can trust God and that he's got greater things in store for you. And we can take our pain and our anger and make something beautiful out of it. When we return more with Dr. Terry Johnson, and do check out the website, AdventistHealthPortland.com, for more information on Adventist Medical Center. That's AdventistHealthPortland.com. More with Dr. Terry Johnson next on Difference Makers. Welcome back to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here with my dear friend, Dr. Terry Johnson. In addition to being the man that you hear on 104.1 The Fish, Dr. Terry also serves with Adventist Health. And Dr. Terry, I love the picture that you sent me, which I'll make sure is up on our Facebook page for Difference Makers. So could you tell me exactly how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected you at Adventist Medical Center, especially now that your hospital now has an affiliation with OHSU. Yes. 
first of all, we're just so excited to be part of the OSHU team. There's actually uh, three of us, uh, four really, uh, that we all work together now, and that is Hillsborough Medical Center on the east side, formerly known as Tuality. Uh, then uh, we have Adventist Health, uh, which is on the east side, and our mother is OSHU on the hill, and then our fourth one is Dornbeckers, is that we're all tied in together now. And so it's just been a um, unique experience of how a faith-based hospital uh, can partner with a state hospital and be able to still have their mission, uh, uh, living God's love through wholeness, help, and loving people. And so um, it's just been absolutely just fantastic, uh, that coming together. But Mike, there's an interesting story behind this picture. Early on, we had one of the first patients in the area that was just really bad. He was in our system, and um, we decided they decided to bring him over to uh, Adventist Health uh, there. And I'm just going to be uh, transparent. It was basically to just let him pass away peacefully because they had did everything, ventilators, everything. And he came to us uh, with zero hope of surviving. In fact, we hear now that he was probably one of the worst in the state of Oregon, uh, this particular gentleman. And what was unique is he was 52 years old and could not, no one could tell where he got it from. And so that's what made it even more frustrating. And he got into our system. Uh, we got him comfortable. And um, and I, I believe in the power of prayer. And I know that no different traditions may not believe that. But as soon as we got word that this uh, gentleman was here in our midst, our prayer team went to work and um, started praying. And the doctors went to work. The nurses went to work. Uh, the people you won't even see behind the scenes, uh, the custodians who are in the rooms cleaning. Uh, uh, just, just a team of us came together and just did all that we could do, uh, that our parts. And like I said, it wasn't just one thing. It was all of us coming together. Uh, I remember one of the goals was is simply if they could just get him to eat something. And so the uh, um, cafeteria team, that became a project for them. Let's find out what did he like, different things, what food. And, and um, to make a long story short, he got better, got a little bit more better and a little bit more better. And finally, to everyone's amazement, after almost 30 something days, uh, he gets well enough to be able to leave the hospital. And so we had asked all the people, um, uh, people who could come, hospital employees, if we could line the hallways and let's uh, let's go all the way out to his car where the car is going to pick him up at. And as he comes through the hallways, let's clap and cheer him on. And I tell you, it was just amazing. He was in a wheelchair and they pushed him down the hallway and people are crying. They're clapping. He's crying just unbelievable. And he's just constantly, thank you. Thank you. You guys have saved my life. Thank you. Thank you. He gets out to the car and then he stands up and walks to the car himself, opens up the door, gets in the car, rolls down the window. And by that time, everyone's coming out of the hospital, tears, everything. And he's waving like he's in the Rose Festival. He's a queen. He's just waving through the window and people are waving back. And then as he drove off, we're all stood there just clapping and cheering. And uh, I will never forget that experience of, of just reminding me because, Mike, we only hear the people who are not making it. 
But there are so many people that God is doing miracles for that are surviving this. And we don't hear about that. And no, the numbers we look at on the TV, it's just the numbers of death, higher and higher, higher and higher. I would love for them to put the number below that of people who are getting better. Because um, uh, that's where some of these miracle stories are coming from. That's a brilliant idea, Dr. Terry Johnson. So what's your opinion on the numbers that are being shared by the mainstream media? I have read articles that have said that people who have the coronavirus are dying of other afflictions, and yet statistically that's being counted as a coronavirus death. Do you think there's any validity to that? Are there any numbers that maybe skewed or misinterpreted? Okay, now I'm only speaking for myself, not representing the hospital or anything. Um, I, I, just, I, I just don't know. Um, either way, what, I, what I'm trying to do and we're trying to do in the hospital is not to get caught up in all the stuff. It's simply taking care of those precious souls that we have in front of us. Now, whether they're sick for something else or the numbers are getting counted, we're just making sure that if you end up in one of our facilities, that we're going to just do all that we can, every bit of power, with the power of prayer. Because we believe in what we call whole person health, that that it, it takes mind, body, and spirit for a person to truly be healed. And so we believe that spiritual care is just as important as the medical care is that we want to make sure if you go to, um, especially our East, no, um, Adventist Health, is that prayer, all that is just an important part of that, of the healing process. And so once again, I, I, I try purposely not to get focused on that. And I lived in DC. I was at the White House. I was sworn stuff to say, not to say the stuff becomes, you know, you can get so caught up in that stuff, but let's worry about the here and now. Worry about the ones that are around you, people that you can protect, because, uh, um, you know, to me, that's what's, what's important right now. I'm so glad you shared that success story. How old was this man, and how dire was his case of the COVID-19 coronavirus that he was basically sent to you to die? Uh, 52 years old. Uh, uh, they had did everything they could possibly do at, uh, at one of our sister facilities, everything, and they uh, felt, no, it's better, let's let him, pretty much we would call hospice, let him just go to the east side hospice, not hospice, to our hospital, and since he lives over that way, and then that would free a bed up for us, for someone who's coming in new, that we can try these other techniques with. So he was pretty bad, Mike. I mean, um, it's been very rare that I've heard different people say that it was almost a 0% chance of him getting better. Well, God bless you and all of your staff at Adventist Health for bringing this man back to life and celebrating his recovery with this parade. I love that, Terry. And you know what? You're right. Why don't we hear more success stories? Would that be deemed as insensitive toward those who are losing loved ones? And while we're going that direction. My condolences on your cousin. I'm really sorry about his passing. I have lost an aunt for uncertain reasons, and she was in her 90s, realistically, but she seemed healthy enough before the coronavirus had hit New York. So is that perhaps why 
the mainstream media avoids success stories? Is that seen as insensitive towards those who are losing loved ones? I, I don't look at it that way. Um, and, but, I, but I am a chaplain. I do believe in hope. <laughs> and so uh, what I, I have seen so many times in a hospital setting is that it's my job to give the person hope, not false hope, uh, but you know, let them know that hope comes in many different ways, that, that I've had people who have, uh, uh, have deceased, but their hope was to be able to reconcile with their son who they hadn't spoken with in 20 years because they were fighting over something so minor. And her hope was simply before I die, I just want to make sure I'm able to tell my son I'm sorry and that I love him. And so my job then was to be able to do the best that I can to reach out to that son. And we were successful at that time. And we got him there. She was able to, um, um, you know, be able to say what she needed to say. And this is pre-coronavirus. Um, but she was able to just say and spend time. And they made up of each other. But that's the kind of hope that a chaplain can give um, in situations and so I look at it as in this, I want to hear those who have survived, those who have come over um, just just amazing obstacles. Um, there is a gentleman that I'm going to connect you with, Mike. I was on a radio program last week. Um, he has survived. He's telling his testimony uh, there in your home state of New York. Uh, he was in a, a hospital there in Brooklyn, uh, 40-something days, and um uh, all he could say was it felt like an elephant was sitting on his chest the entire time. And he walked out of that hospital and just a powerful story uh, that he shares of that. And I remember asking him, how do you feel? Because there are ones who don't, who are not making it. And he has said, well, you know what? I got to the point where I was at peace with the Lord. Lord, if this is the way it's going to go down, I just want to make sure I've done all that I can do to make peace with you and with those I need to make peace with. And so I just want to be able to share that story, he said, and how God was able to just really heal me. But I felt bad, he said, that there are people who weren't healed. But I only can say that God's not done with me yet, and I'm still here for a reason and for a purpose. And for that, we are grateful. So Dr. Terry Johnson, thank you for what you're doing on the home front as just Terry and Kara dropping off flowers and notes of encouragement to your condo neighbors. Also for what you're doing at Adventist Medical Center and with the Adventist Health System, with the Adventist Health System of prayerfully giving all you can to help people out medically. I have another question for you, Terry. There's people out there who have loved ones in the hospital and loved ones who have died. And unlike normal times, it's got to be especially difficult for those who cannot be in the same room with loved ones who are sick or dying. So what advice do you have for us when it comes to coping mechanisms with that? Yeah, and that's probably been the hardest part of my job. Um, as you know, uh, throughout the entire state of Oregon and Washington, that uh, there are no visitors allowed in the hospitals unless there's an extreme case. And if that is, even if it's an extreme case, and I'm saying if they were to per se have a heart attack or something like that, and it would be only one person could actually visit. So just imagine how hard it is where I've been in the parking lot where you have three people all trying to go in, 
You may have a um, boyfriend, a mother, and a father, and the mother and father aren't together, and all three of them are saying, I need to be the one to go in. And so uh, I give it up for our chaplains. A lot of us have been assigned that duty, being that one in the parking lot, trying to um, figure out how we can you know, be able to help through this process. And there's not an easy answer other than saying that, you know, that we have to try to go through a process of making it happen. So that's the part that's been probably the toughest part of my job. But then on the other side of it, Mike, is that um, you mentioned a little bit earlier of how um, media, technology, I should say, has been a true blessing because I've been able to then bring iPads into the room and these rooms are locked down. I mean, completely locked down. And we've been able to get iPads in the rooms so that if the person is well enough, that they're able to talk to their loved ones uh, by way of iPad. And so the chaplains have been very responsible uh, for that throughout the entire country of making sure that they're able to communicate. They've set up in our hospital system where I can go and make a prayer in a room over the telephone and be able to talk to the person and uh, be able to give them encouragement. And that has been a blessing. I've been able to use that type of technology. Dr. Terry Johnson, thanks for going out with the tools that you have, whether it's at home or at Adventist Health, and bringing people hope as well as healing. Most importantly, you're bringing them Jesus. Yes. In their most dire times, you are bringing the Lord to them exactly where they are. So keep up the good work. Thank you. Our goal is to make sure if a person is transitioning or, as we would say, passing away, that no one dies alone. We want to make sure that there is some type of presence with them at Adventist Health. How are your chaplains holding up with all this? It's been um, early on, um, and it's probably because of my military, uh, uh, my military background, the very first thing that I did, and I was one of the first in the entire city to do this, is uh, making sure that no chaplains are in the building at the same time. And so, um, and, and so in other words, there's just one chaplain on call, and then I'm there as a backup, um, but it's just myself and another chaplain. And the reason I did that is that if all my chaplains were there at the hospital together and one got exposed, and then all of us would be quarantined for 14 days, and there would be no chaplains in the hospital at all. And so I did this as soon as, uh, you know, it started getting worse. I just said, you know what, you're going to work from home. We're going to give you assignments, things that you can do, keep the prayer ministry going. You're going to do that from home, and we're going to get a rotation calendar uh, uh, calendar for that. And it was so funny because uh, two weeks after I had did that, and then they made it mandatory throughout uh, all of the hospital systems, uh, not just with chaplains, but with certain departments of nursing and different things, because you don't want all your ER doctors to go out in one time. And so uh, uh, that has been a, a, a blessing, uh, us been ahead of the game uh, to be able to do that. And the chaplains uh, are, are just working so hard. And what's making it so unique is that we're ministering to the staff just as much as patients. Uh, we have staff members who uh, are sleeping in their garage because they're so afraid that they you know could get their family affected. We have several staff members who are sleeping in tents, Mike, out on their lawns. Uh, same because, no, we don't want our families 
to get affected. And then they're coming back into the hospital. And so who ministers to them? Who talks to them uh, uh, that it's going to be okay? And that's the chaplains. And so we're spending just as much time with patients as we are with the staff, keeping them encouraged from doctors to nurses to custodians. Thank you so much, Dr. Terry Johnson of Adventist Health. When we return, as if the COVID virus wasn't doing enough damage to this country, let's talk about a Christian's reaction following Ahmaud Arbery and now George Floyd. When we return with Dr. Terry Johnson, next on Difference Makers. You're listening to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here with my dear friend, Dr. Terry Johnson. His wife, Dr. Cara Johnson, is one of the pastors over at Sunnyside Church on Market Street in Portland. So, Dr. Terry, how are you doing for services? Are you streaming them online, video and audio? Uh, Yes, Uh, video and audio, and plus a midweek service uh, that's actually live. The the midweek service is uh, yeah, kind of think of it. All the services are live now. <laughs> we're, we're keeping um, no more than um, five people in the church, and then the speaker and a special music person will come in, and then um, and that's how we've been kind of doing it. The website address for the church is sunnysideadventist.org. That's sunnysideadventist.org. And Terry, with your experience, both with three different presidents of the United States, in addition to working at Adventist Health, which is now affiliated with OHSU. What is your opinion of how Oregon, how the Pacific Northwest is doing from your perspective on the front lines when it comes to social distancing, staying at home, masks, responsibilities? Can you give us the big picture of what we're doing well and what we definitely should or should not be doing? Yes. Um, what we know for sure is that um, when when it first hit, um, uh, a task force team was put together, and our president was part of that. A president of our hospital uh, was part of that task force team, and they were using uh, for the state of Oregon what we call the South Korea model, because if you look at pretty much the size of South Korea. Uh, how it started and different things. And so that's the model that we were choosing to go by. And it was almost, um, oh, I don't know. It was almost like 80%. This will be the reaction. We will go down the path that South Korea had done before us. And so as a result of that, um, uh, the governor, you know, uh, uh, we not closed down, but you know, all of our hospitals uh, stopped doing any non-essential uh, uh, things, and our hospital alone, uh, they had they determined how many beds we should have available based upon being in East Side Portland. Uh, statistics are going to say this is how many people that you're going to have, and so we were prepared to use um, additional space. Uh, even the uh, uh, like some places had to use their parking lots. All of that was being prepared uh, because uh, the way it was going to hit, we were going to have at least 500 or more uh, just in our hospital alone. 
And so we went into that and they even attached dates to it because we knew it was going to surge at a certain time based upon South Korea, how it surged at that time frame. And when the time came, we are still in shock that Oregon did not get hit as bad as it was predicted. Uh, a lot of people contribute that to um, people uh, going by the rules here in Oregon to the most part. Uh, keeping their distance and different things like that. We uh, contribute to that. But we just know that we are just beyond blessed at the number of deaths uh, in Oregon uh, because it was projected far, 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 far more. We should have been in the thousands in Oregon. And instead, we're in the mid mid hundreds. So we should have been in the thousands, but instead we're in the mid hundreds in the state of Oregon. Well, praise God for that, Terry. And what do you think the primary reasons for this success rate are, which of course does not negate the fact that we do grieve with those who are mourning the loss of a loved one? Yes. I can just say where I live at, um, we're near the waterfront downtown and the people, uh, and we've have, we've been kind of the uh, um, hotspot, not in the uh, bad way, but people have been coming down to the waterfront walking and doing picnics, you know, keeping their distance. And that's been probably the most amazing thing because Carr and I, we walk on the waterfront two times at least every day, uh, one by ourselves, and then we do a nightly walk together. And um, people have really been staying their distance uh, politely on the Silicon Bridge as we cross. If someone's going to come in near you, everyone kind of shifts on purpose. And it's just been amazing. And I do think... In my area, what I'm seeing, that people are definitely uh, um, respecting the space and different things like that. And I think it's paid off. I think that part has paid off. From just the mere fact of even if you had the flu, let's uh, if someone sneezes in your face, there's a good chance you're going to get it. And so uh, um, I really think that people have a stage or space, at least in my part of the city. Well, I'm glad that things are working so well. Can you give us your guesstimate, unofficially, of where we're heading in the near future, Terry? See, I'm the wrong one to ask that because my this is a problem because I was so part of the of getting ready for these thousands of people to possibly pass away in the state of Oregon, and I was shown that there was just no way out of it. This is the statistic, and Something bigger than us, higher than us, whatever it is, we weren't that way. And so it's hard for me to predict. My prediction stuff is gone because it, it, it just I've just seen that the predictions could be completely the exact opposite of what, what we think. And I do believe, um, in spite of you know, those who have lost loved ones and our prayers and thoughts are with you, and we know it's never easy, uh, but those of us that are still here, realize that you're still here for a reason and for a purpose. And as I tell a person, whether we're recovering from a heart attack or, or a major surgery, and I go in that room and they're still breathing, I look at them and say, you know what? This simply proves God ain't done with you yet. Because at the end of the day, I don't care whether you're a president or you're the person under the Burnside Bridge. When it's your time to go, it's your time to go. It could be Corona. It could be hidden by, hit by a bus. But the secret is just make the most of life now 
and realize if you're still breathing, you're six feet above the ground, God ain't done with you yet, and you're still here for a reason and for a purpose. Amen to that, Dr. Terry Johnson of Adventist Health. I'm quite glad, as you are, that our hospital system here in the Pacific Northwest is not as overwhelmed as it could have been. So praise God for that, and let's continue to do our very best to keep ourselves and each other healthy. Going to go off on a completely different track right now. Although I might not sound like it, I am 100% Chinese. I am American-born, between third and fourth generation, and we live in troubled times right now. It's bad enough with the coronavirus doing its damage, but three names stand out to me right now, Dr. Terry. Those would be Christian Cooper... Ahmad Arbery and George Floyd. And if you follow the news, you may have heard of Christian Cooper being the African-American gentleman who had the NYPD called on him for calling out a woman letting her dog loose in Central Park. Ahmad Arbery was shot and killed while out jogging. And the latest incident with George Floyd is he was killed by a police officer kneeling on his neck in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Dr. Terry, as another minority, as an African-American man growing up in the Portland area before moving out to D.C. and eventually moving back, and also, more importantly, as a brother in Christ, how are we supposed to receive such stories, and what are we called to do moving forward? It's... um. I think the thing right now is to get to the place where everyone says enough is enough. And I don't care what political party you belong to or or, or, or whatever, but we got to get to the point where, where, where this is enough is enough. And the only way that we're going to make a difference, Mike, is all of us working together. And that is our white brothers and sisters, our Asian brothers and sisters, our brown brothers and sisters, all of us literally working together with the goal, enough is enough. Um, I am um, just read a report um, that our, our Asian brothers and sisters, that uh, the violence that's been taking place against them, which, you know, we're not talking about. You don't hear that. But it has gone up in some places as high as 60%. People yelling out the uh, uh, cart and throwing cans at them that this is your fault. And, um, and this is just it, Mike, that we just have to just come together and just say, and, and it's just not a black problem. It's just not a white problem. It's not an Asian problem. It is just a problem that has to be talked about and that action has to be done. Has the church historically done enough when it comes to race relations, Terry? No, um, um, I had the opportunity of going, um, of doing my undergraduate theology in um, Huntsville, Alabama. Um, even though my parents are from Louisiana, uh, and I was born and raised here in Portland. Uh, but just seeing what we hear so often is that the most segregated time in the world is 11 o'clock Sundays. Everyone may work together, do stuff, but at the end of the day, they're going back to their own places. And I just uh, think that uh, it's time uh, that the churches come together and just think of creative ways, not saying that, you know, you have to give up your culture or that person has to do it that way. But I do think that we can be unified, uh, uh, that there are ways that we can be unified 
and we don't have to be uniformed. Unified without being uniformed. So how do we put that into practice, Terry? Um, my, uh, my wife, the word is out on the street. She's going to kill me for saying this, Mike, but <laughs> uh, that uh, she is going to be getting me. Um, 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 they've asked her to be a senior pastor of a, of a, of a, of a very um, of a good-sized church in this area. And it actually, um, it's already through, but she won't start to July 1. But she's already in contact um, with a church that is different than her uh, uh, in a different neighborhood. And she's contacted that pastor and said, you know what, that um, I'm, um, I, I'm, I'm going to be taking over this church, but let's you and I right now make a pact that we are going to do some stuff together. We're going to do our part of, of just making some things uh, happen. And I would love to see more ministries and pastors uh, doing that, of really seeing, you know, our church, your church may be predominantly African-American, why not go down the street and say, hey, I know you and I are friends, and I may know you, but let's meaningfully get our congregations together. If it's nothing but by Zoom, that we have a Zoom conference for the churches in our block, and we're going to talk about how we can work together and to make sure that a person, um, at least especially from the Christian point of view, is not discriminated against, not killed, not hurt, no cans are thrown at them, or if someone does something like that in our community, is that we're going to be the first to stand up as a unified church and say, enough is enough. Wonderful perspectives and great words of wisdom from my dear friend, Dr. Terry Johnson of Adventist Health. Terry, thanks so much for spending time today, especially updating us on the coronavirus situation, and at the same time, sharing about what we as Christians need to be doing when it comes to racism and saying, indeed, enough is enough. And Mike, I just want to thank you um, and and your whole radio team. Um, a lot of, uh, you may not consider yourself essential workers, but I tell you, when I'm able to put on Christian radio in one of those rooms, uh, when a person requests, that uh, you know, hey, it, you know, this is my station. Or uh, can I hear some some um, some? You know, I'm a, I'm a believer, and I need to hear some Christian music. And when I'm able to do that, if it weren't for you guys behind the scenes of making sure is that Christian music is still on the air, Christian talk is still still there, all the stuff that y'all are doing uh, to be able to uh, just share the word. I just want to just take time to thank y'all so much for that, and I just want to encourage the listeners. Y'all support Christian radio. This is not the time. And I know our paychecks may be a little lighter. Different things are going on. But this is not the time to not support Christian radio. Because this is when we need it the most. As a former station manager of a legendary Christian station out in Washington, D.C., who would know better than my pal, Dr. Terry Johnson? So, Terry, thank you so much for sharing hope with us and... Let's keep the conversation going. Yes. And thank you for listening to Difference Makers. Difference Makers.